Good morning, y'all. It's so good to be with y'all, just to see so many young people. Uh, what an encouraging sight to my eyes. Um, so I, when Mark asked me to uh, speak to y'all, my mind just raced back to when I was y'all's age and, uh, and what the Lord was doing in my life at that time. And uh, when I was eight, I came to Christ. Um, and as I, I grew, I would say in baby steps, up until I was 19. And then when I turned 19, it was that particular year, God in His providence put me in a Christian bookstore in the summers for four summers. And, and uh, as I was around those books, and especially the Bible, uh, I just had such a hunger, a hunger and thirst to, to read the Word. And uh, I was a sports writer in college, loved sports, had a ton of sports trivia in my mind, but was not a good writer. But God put me there to lead a particular guy to Christ as I look back and realize why I was there. But it was during that time that um, this unbelievable hunger and thirst uh, changed from sports trivia to God's Word. And so today I want to talk to you about, there's a big word you've heard called sanctification. But really, basically, it just means to be set apart from a sinful life to a holy life by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the catechisms, the shorter catechism number 35 talks about that it's a work of God's grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and to live unto righteousness. So there's many passages and many scriptures that I'm going to, it'll be like a fire hydrant drinking today, but, but my point is I want to encourage you when you leave today to have a passion for the word of God. It's been said that five years from today, you and I will be pretty much the same, except for the books we read and the people we hang around with. And so the goal is Christ-likeness. And so think about Jesus' prayer, and one of my favorite passages is in John 17. This is really the Lord's Prayer. And this is the prayer that He prayed on the eve of the cross. In one of those verses, in verse 17 of chapter 17, he said, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. What he meant was, Lord, set them apart from sin to a holy life by your spirit and use the word of God, the word that I have given them. Use that word to transform them into my likeness. And that same power is available for every one of us. So to start off with, you have to be a believer. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. What that means is you have new inclinations, new aspirations, new loves, new desires. It's an inside God job. Dead people don't have that. And God has to make you alive. And it, but if you are in Christ, He's given you that hunger. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, As babies crave milk, so the believer craves the Word of God so that they may grow in respect to their salvation. So you think about that. As babies crave milk, we have five children. They didn't care about the paint on the walls and the booties on their feet and what they were sleeping in. All they wanted was milk. And, and that's what God has given that same desire to, for us. But Peter preceded that verse by saying the first thing before you can hunger and thirst, you have to lay aside. He said, malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, slander. You have to get rid of those things in your life before you can have a hunger for the word of God. You have to be emptied of self and to be filled with the, the, with the word. So I want us to look first to 1 John 2, 12 through 14. 
This is John. He's the last disciple left. The other 11 have been martyred. Um, this particular letter, five chapters, was given, um, was basically to minister to the church in Ephesus. It was a church that had been basically infiltrated with false teaching. And John loved uh, these believers. And he wanted to, um, three tests. He wanted to remind them of, if you know Christ, you're going to have a love for the Word, and you're going to have a love for the body of Christ, and you're going to have a desire to obey to obey Christ. So, look with me, 1 John 2.12. <clears throat> I am writing to you, little children, because you your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one and because you are strong. And then in verse 14, I have written you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I have written you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So again... What we see here, three levels of maturity. And I would say to you that most of the church in America stays in the first level. And why do they stay in that level? First off, because they're not being fed the Word of God. All they can just take in is baby food. And it's sad because it's like Hosea said, like people, like priests. The people are never going to rise above their leadership. And so I remember Harry Reader saying the two most important decisions you'll make in your life. The first one is where you sit on the Lord's Day. And the second one is what do you do with what you just heard? So, again, what we see with the the little children, Paideia, is all they really know is they have parental recognition. They know the Father. And we all have to start there. And they also confess and forsake their sin. So that's critical. You have to start there. But the sad thing is when they stay there, Paul said in Ephesians 4.14, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Just like a paper cup just blowing in the parking lot by the wind. That's a picture of so many in the church today because they have a shallow understanding of who Christ is and what God's call is on their life. But the main one I want to emphasize is verse 14 talks about the young men. And he says the young men. And again, when it's saying young men, it's not being against women. It's both. It would be, you know, women and men. He's just talking about taking a word picture of what to look like. And he said, the young men are strong. Why are they strong? Because the word of God abides in them. The word of God remains in them. They're steeped in the Word of God. Solid food is for the mature, those who because of practice have their senses trained to discern discern good from evil. And it says that they have overcome the evil one. And that Greek word, Nikaya, is the word uh, where you get Nike from. It just means to prevail. It means to triumph over. So prior to that period, baby Christians continue to be duped by Satan. They don't recognize his schemes and they get in the worst situations because they lack discernment and they pay the price for it. The consequences that come from their lack of of discernment and wisdom. So John is saying, I want you to be strong, but know where your strength comes from. It comes from being in the word of God. John MacArthur said, Basically, he said, your output in life will be in direct proportion to your intake of the Word of God. So again, to grow in Christ's likeness, you have to feed upon the Word. 
So my wife and I, we have five children, and every one of them, when they went off to college, I uh, wrote them a letter, and I put two verses in every every one of the kids' letters. And the first one was Matthew ten sixteen, when Jesus said, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves, be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And then the second one was John eight thirty one and 32. If you remain in my words, Jesus said, and my words remain in you, then you are truly my disciple and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So again, Jesus is saying true believers, true disciples, not only know the word, they apply it in their lives so that they can grow in respect to their salvation. And then the third level, which would be probably decades from now, where you can fall into that category. But what I love about the fathers, he said the fathers have known the Lord. What that means is they've walked with the Lord for decades and they've gone through difficult times. They've gone through trials and they can look back and see, wow, look what God was doing. I think back of when I moved here eight years ago, my wife and I, we lived in Montgomery, even though I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but lived in Montgomery. But right after I moved here, I found out I had a sarcoma on the back of my right leg. And when I went to see the surgeon here at UAB, his only option was amputation. He laughed at the thought of saving my leg. And um, I took chemo, radiation, and then went back to him again. Same answer, amputation. So I... I knew God's sovereign, and I thought, hey, this is the time for me to put all this scripture I've memorized about God's sovereignty into practice. Do I really believe it? Which I did. And I prayed. I said, Lord, your will be done. Um, Flew out to Houston, Texas. When I called, they said, well, you've got to be out here a week. And I said, ma'am, I don't have a week. I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'll be out here for a day. My goal is to find a surgeon. So in God's providence, and I say this to encourage you when the trials increase in your life. Uh, how he works. So I flew out to uh, Houston. It was May 2nd, uh, 2016. And uh, the only appointment I could get was with an oncologist. They're the ones that treat cancer. And I didn't need one of those because I had one here. But I thought that may help me get into the door. So I'm in this room waiting for the doctor to walk in and the nurse walks in. And um, I'll never forget, her name was Christy Posey. And um, what's cool is, this is where the providence of God starts working. She was filling in for the nurse who was on vacation. And she worked with the best surgeon at MD Anderson that's an orthopedic surgeon. And um, so I tell her, I said, are you a believer? She said, yes, I am. I said, here's what my prayer is. And and um, when she walked out of the room, she went and got the oncologist that hadn't met yet. And then they went and talked to the surgeon, Dr. Brian Moon, and um, showed the DVD of my leg and what was going on. And and um, so those two came back, the oncologist and Christian, and it was the first time there was hope. They looked at me and they said, Dr. Moon wants to see you after lunch. He believes he can help you with your leg. And um, I said, wow, that's great. So after lunch, I'm sitting in this room. And um, the PA that worked for Dr. Moon walks in, and I could just tell he was a believer within seconds. I said, you're a believer, aren't you? And he said, I am. I'm going on a medical mission trip to Honduras next month. And by the way, Dr. Moon's a believer also. Dr. Moon walks in about 20 minutes later and goes, we had to see you. And I said, why was that? And he said, because you were praying. And um, to make a long story short, 
11 and a half hour surgery, four and a half to remove the cancer, six and a half hours to do a skin graft where they took muscle from my back to fill the hole in my leg and tie everything together. And um, so when I look back at that, um, one day I was, my wife stayed in the hospital room with me for 10 days and she came out of the shower and she goes, I've never seen you cry. What's going on? And I said, I'm overcome with joy. I said, I've had never had so many opportunities to share Christ with, with people one-on-one. And so just a quick nugget of what took place. So over the next uh, few years, three different people, and I know there's more, but three for sure came to Christ through me meeting them because of what went on. But one of them, a powerful story, her name is Amanda Peterson. And so Amanda Peterson She was living in a same-sex relationship when she worked with me three days a week for eight months. And I'd always talk to her about Christ, talk to her about Christ. And then four years go by, I see her put up a post on Facebook, can tell she's going through a dark time. My wife and I reached out to her and said, hey, we want to have you over for dinner. And she came over, I think, six times in the next few months. But God was working on her and saved her. And what's so powerful is this girl who owned a physical therapy practice, a minority owner with Benchmark, she walked away from all of it. She sold it, and she goes, I don't know, Glenn, where the Lord's leading me, but I just walked away today. And uh, she started taking seminary classes here at Birmingham Theological Seminary, and um, I got her to give her testimony to one of the classes here. She's on staff here. She just got married. She was Harry's last wedding in the sanctuary um, that he performed. And um, this girl, I'm not exaggerating, would read the word eight hours a day. I've never seen anything like it, except my oldest son has that same passion for the word. He's in seminary. But, But just to see what God was doing in that trial. So remember, sanctification, the goal is Christ likeness. And so God's going to use trials in your life to help you become more like Jesus. One day there was a man and he was a, a sculptor and he was just chipping away at this block of marble. And a young man asked him, what are you doing? And he said, I'm trying to remove anything that doesn't look like a man. And the point is, that's what God is doing with us. But the greatest tool he's given us is the word of God to help us grow. And without the knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of self. What's frightening is so many people today, even in the church, don't even know what the goal is to be like Christ. And the goal is to glorify him. And when we reflect him and image him, that brings him much glory. So as believers, we should have a pursuit in Christ likeness. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, pursue holiness and peace with all men without which no one will see God. That's a pretty frightening verse. Pursue holiness. And if you're not, it's saying you're not a believer. It's in our DNA as believers to want to become more like Christ. Jonathan Edwards, who's considered the greatest mind this country ever produced, he would study the word 12 hours a day. His wife would sometimes have a meal fixed and he would never go eat it because he would be so immersed into the word. But when he came to Christ, the verse he said that summed up his life was Psalm 119, verse 20. He said, "My that verse by David says, My soul is crushed with longings after your word at all times. And again, that's an inside work of the Holy Spirit. So 
back when I moved to Montgomery, Alabama in 1982, within eight months, I was sitting in my apartment. I was single at the time. It was a Saturday morning, about 11 a.m., and I was overcome with conviction on wasting my mind. I had literally memorized, I could tell you, I think, every NFL starter, which who cares, but that... That was my mindset. But I I said, Lord, forgive me for wasting my mind. I want to use my mind to glorify you. And I said, from this day forward, I'll hide your word in my heart and I'll share it with whoever you put in my path. And so that particular day, I started memorizing books of the Bible. I started with Philippians. Then I went to James. And then I went to Ephesians and most of Romans, just one after another. And the gift that the Lord's given me is not the ability to memorize. It's once it's been memorized to stay in my head and uh which is is a gift and again it's something that i have to use uh for his glory because his word is powerful it's living it's active it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces us on the inside so the apostle paul which i can't wait to meet him he's one of my heroes but he made statements like in galatians four nineteen, he said i'm basically in child labor, meaning the pains of child labor until Christ's likeness is formed in you. He said in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Christ admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man perfect and complete in Christ. For this purpose, I labor striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So again, You're young, great opportunities in front of you. I would say don't waste your minds. The world is starved for the truth. They're starved for the Word of God, but they don't know it. And they're constantly filling their minds with junk food, entertainment, things that will never satisfy. It's like cotton candy. It's never going to satisfy. But the Word of God will. And so there are a lot of different passages to encourage us. Um, One of them... uh, is Romans 6 is probably the best chapter in the Bible dealing with that word sanctification, becoming Christ-like. And one of the verses I like is verse 17. He says, You were formerly slaves of sin, but now you've become obedient from the heart to this new teaching to which you were now committed. Again, see the transformation that's taken place? Verse 12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust and do, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. He goes on to say, What benefit were you then deriving of the things of which you're now ashamed for the outcome of those things is death. So Christ-likeness is the goal it's, and it takes place by saturating our minds with the Word. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 3.18. The Apostle Paul, he was writing this church that was so worldly. He wrote uh, at least three letters, maybe four letters to this church. Two are in the canon of Scripture. But he said, we all with unveiled face. Remember Moses, when he came off the mountain, had a veil over his face. But he said, we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And we are being transformed into the image of Christ from one level of glory to the next by the Spirit. What that means is the longer we walk with Christ, the more we will reflect Jesus Christ. 
And the impact is amazing that you will have if you go deep in the Word of God. Uh, people will see in you. And they will say what Peter did in 1 Peter 3.15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. They'll see the difference, especially when their life starts to fall apart. I think back of when I was your age, um, my best friend um, played pro football. And I shared Christ with this guy for five years every day. I, pr- I prayed for him for five years every day. And um, he uh, played at Vanderbilt. He was all-SEC linebacker. They were playing uh, Alabama this particular day. And uh, a running back named Major Ogilvy hit him from the side, tore all the ligaments in his right leg. And that was the catalyst to change his life. And so he came home, and I would uh, every Sunday morning I would go knock on his window to come to church. And every week he would say the same thing, I promise I'll go next week. I promise I'll go next week. And this one day, it was January, it had snowed. And I thought, no way, he's going to go today. Prayed, knocked on the window, and he said, I'll go. But two things, we sit on the back row and we leave before anyone else does. So I don't have to talk to anyone. Um, He was drafted by the Super Bowl champs, Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, He came to Christ and... um, he, there was an article in the Nashville Banner, I'll never forget, at the top of the whole sports uh, section, it said, Smith cleans up act. It should have said, God cleans up Smith. But I saw that take place, and I would just share scripture with him. And God was working on him and then brought him to himself. Well, sports writers were always at his house, and, um, and so his sister was going to go work with the sports department. And uh, the night before she was to start, she called me. She said, I'm not going to do it. Would you want the job? And I said, yeah, because the door had just opened. Uh, I'd worked three years with the uh, athletic department. So took the job. And um, to make a long story short, uh, there was a guy there that was very rude, very cold, um, just no love, no life in him. I had no idea he was watching my life. About three months later, one evening, it's a Sunday evening, he calls me. He goes, hey, Glenn, I wanted to get your wisdom about something. I said, what's that? And he said, well, the girl I've been dating won't even take my calls, and I don't know what to do. And all I said was, Paul, give your life to Christ. He'll take care of the rest. Next day at the paper, and this guy was a very gifted writer. He said, look, I'll help you with your stories if you'll help me grow spiritually. And so that was the bond that took place. I had no idea why God put me there because I was the worst writer there out of 30-some writers. I hate writing. I love sports. But so the Word of God's powerful, and we want to make sure that we're grounded in the Word because when we speak to people, we want to make sure that we're speaking truth to them and we're speaking to them accurately. So the question before us is, well, how do I start? You know, I'm, I'm a brand new Christian. What do I do? And one of the things that I learned from John MacArthur that has been so powerful, he said, we, we are a people who learn by repetition. And he said, what I recommend, and I've practiced this. He said, take a book of the Bible. And he said, let's just say it's First John, five chapters. And he said, read First John, those five chapters, every day for 30 days. And he said, after 30 days, you'll know where everything is. And it's because of that repetition over and over. And the Spirit of God will give you that hunger for the Word. He'll give you the ability to understand what you're reading and the power to apply it in your lives. 
Um, Paul said in Ephesians 4.22, Therefore, in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness that comes from the truth. So again, it's every day. Put off, renew your mind, put on. And over time, you will become more and more like Jesus Christ. And you will have impact because the world is in darkness and they need truth. And God's given us the ability as believers to communicate the gospel. I love what John Piper said. He goes, God rescues us from ourselves at a high cost to himself, the cross, so that we might enjoy making much of him forever. When I read that in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, I thought, wow, what a word picture. That definitely sums up my life. I have such a passion to put him on the scoreboard. I must decrease, he must increase. Holiness, J.C. Ryle said, is the habit of being of one mind with Christ, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in my life by the standard of his word. He who does that will become holy and more like Christ. And you will have impact for those around you. So the question is, how does this work and who's responsible for this? Well, we know justification. The word is it's monergistic. What that means is it's of God. You know, dead people can't come to life on their own. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince and power of the air of the spirit that now works in those that disobey the truth. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive. So when you become a Christian, you have everything that you need. Now, over time, just like a little baby may look like his dad uh, over or mom, over time... They should become like the parents in maturity. And that's how it is spiritually. When you come to Christ, you're a baby, and there are all the faculties that you need, but you need to mature. And that's why in parenting it says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up. The problem is not what parents do to kids today. It's what they don't do. They don't bring them up. And the standard is Christ's likeness. Two, my two youngest came to Christ uh, in May 17 of 17, and the other one was June of <clears throat> 16. And to this day, they thank me <clears throat> so many times that I just never gave up on them, that I continued to pray for them, love them, and, and continue to speak the truth to them. But I knew I can't save anyone. The Holy Spirit does that. But I, but I wanted to be faithful, and the Word of God did its work. Paul told Timothy from childhood, Timothy, you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads you to salvation. But he wasn't converted until Paul was on his first missionary journey in Lystra. But his mind, his conscience was informed with truth, and there needed to be that explosion where the Word of God and the Spirit of God connect. And that happened for Timothy. And you know what he told Timothy in regards to the word? He said, Timothy, as you point out these truths to the church in Ephesus, you will be constantly nourished in the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine to which you're teaching. That as you study and you teach and pour out, you will become more like Christ and you will have impact. 
Robert Murray McShane, the Scottish pastor, said, Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. That's the mindset we need to have, to recognize I am what I am by the grace of God, but the grace of God did not prove in vain. But I labored more than the rest of them, Paul said, but not I, but Christ working in me. So the word's powerful. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces us on the inside to change and transform us. And so sanctification, unlike justification, is not an act of God. It's a work of God, which means it's a process. And in that process, the Lord is working and you are working. So again, Paul would say, I... I buffet my body to make it my slave, lest after teaching others, I might become disqualified. And basically in the Greek, it means I give myself a black eye. I box in such a way that I don't miss the target. And that was his mindset. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You say, well, who lives Paul's life? You see, it's both. It's Paul and the Holy Spirit working in Paul. And that's how it is with us. So Paul would say in Philippians 2.12, work out, not work for, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who's at work within you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So we see they go together. So we want to be diligent about studying the word And if you go back to practicing, if it's one book, just read it over and over and over. I promise you the rewards and the benefits are incredible. Because Paul would say, we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. What he meant was every time we hold up the Bible, this is the mind of Christ. It's his revealed will for our lives. The secret things of the Lord belong to him, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. Deuteronomy 29.29. So... The word's powerful, but the Spirit of God loves us, and and He loves us so much, He won't let us stay that way. I love how Paul put it in Acts 20, 28. The elders from Ephesus walked 30 miles to Miletus to see Paul for the last time. They embraced each other. They knew this was the last time because Paul was going to be martyred. Um, But he said, be on guard for yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church which he purchased with his own blood. The point I want you to think about is the Holy Spirit made elders to be elders. The Holy Spirit makes you to be a godly woman and a godly man. And yes, you should labor. You run in such a way that you win. But the Holy Spirit gives you the power and the desire to to do that, to chase after Christ. So we live in times, you all are growing up in a time that is so unlike the time I did. And why? It's because Romans 1 is being played out before our very eyes. And that is the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Most of your peers that you see in the world, they're suppressing the truth. They don't want to see or hear the truth. And it says three times God gave These people over, as society, over to a reprobate mind where two plus two no longer equals four anymore. So those are the times in which you're living. But I want you to remember, the darker the backdrop, the brighter the light. There are opportunities all around you where people don't have hope. And you do have hope. 
Romans 13, 15 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love opportunities to share Christ and just to see how things work. Um, situation uh, six years ago, my daughter Mary Glenn, at the time she was a student at Auburn, she was selling some pants online, Lululemon pants, and my wife was going to take those pants to meet someone at the summit when Zoe's was here in front of Zoe's. And last minute, her mother called her and said, I need you. So she said, can you take them? I said, sure. So I went and I met this guy, stood in front of Zoe's, and we exchanged the pants for 30 bucks. And I said, can I ask you the most important question in life? He looked at me and said, sure. And I said, how can a sinful man have a right standing before a holy God? A lot of times people would like, get me away from this guy. But this guy, he was so interested and wanted to know. Why? Because in his past, he had been a drug seller on a college campus. And he had guys that he knew that OD'd. And he knew in his heart of hearts that he was fortunate even to be alive. So the bottom line is he came to Christ. I got him a Bible that night at Barnes & Noble. And um, seeing this young man's life transformed. Uh, When I was having my leg surgery, my wife said, Honey, we got to move from this four-story rental to a one-story because we don't know what the outcome is going to be with your legs. So we moved, block party once a quarter in this neighborhood. Two Catholic men were sitting in the front of the room, and I quoted a Bible verse, not knowing that the guy in the back of the room, Collins Cunningham, who was 28 at the time, he goes, Man, I would love to learn the Bible. And so I said, Collins, I live across the street from you. Let's meet every Tuesday night. He would, And we went through the Gospel of John. He would write out 20 questions every time. That man is so on fire for Christ. His whole family's walking with the Lord to see what the Lord's done. And just all I did was quote a verse. And he didn't know but maybe one or two verses in the whole Bible. He didn't grow up in a Christian home. But the power of the Gospel and just... Remember, the word is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces us on the inside. So when you look at the men in the Bible, you start, say, of Jeremiah. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. He was the weeping prophet, but he loved the word. Job, what did he say in light of all he went through? He said, I have learned to love your word more than my necessary food. What did David say? Thy words have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When Paul wrote the church in Thessalonica, he said, I thank the Lord that when you received the word from me, you received it for what it really is, the word of God, which performs its work in those who believe. Word is powerful. Don't waste your minds. Use your minds to fill it with truth. And remember... The world and Satan and his schemes is coming after you. And I think the Internet has done more damage to destroy the minds of people. And what I'm getting at is Internet pornography. And um, the only way I would say for people to overcome that is they have to have a love for something other than that that's greater. And that love has to be for Christ and his word. Don't waste your mind. Use your mind. It's a gift that God's given us. Romans 12.1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies, your mind, as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God. That was just good, acceptable, and perfect. I was 30 when I got married. And um, my passion was I wanted to marry someone that would enhance ministry where Christ could be glorified. It was March 12, 1989. I'm sitting in church in the choir. And my wife walked in. I'd never seen her before. The guy on my right goes, bro, what if that was your wife? And I thought, hey, that'll be good. But I didn't think much of it. And then during the sermon, he elbowed me again and goes, bro, she's taking notes. She must be serious about her faith. And then when church ended, the guy on my left goes, bro, no one's talking to her. Go introduce yourself. And that guy stayed single till he was 40. He could have done that. But I'm so thankful I did. I literally took off down the hall and I went, man, she's gone. So I started running down the long hall. This is at Eastwood Press in Montgomery. And I looked to my right and I saw the back of her and, um, and introduced myself, asked her to go to uh, lunch with the singles. And she declined, but was very nice about it. Said I meet with my mom, found out where she worked. So the next day I asked her out. And uh, she was a makeup artist with Lancome. When I asked her out, she was so nice about it as she rejected me. She said, oh, she said, thanks, but I'm in a relationship. And I did, she didn't tell me this, but I came to find out she was dating a pro basketball player. And so I talked to her for 15 minutes that moment about Christ. And I could tell she was a brand new Christian. So I said, could I call you sometime? She said, sure. Still have her number and a little piece of paper I've saved. <clears throat> so I called her that night. And God in His providence had the two of them get in a fight, like normal. And, uh, and He said to her on the phone, all you want to talk about is this Jesus stuff. And she had enough sense to know, if I don't have that foundation, what the heck am I hanging on to? So when I called her, she made this statement. She said, I'm praying that God will lead me to someone who can lead me spiritually. And I remember looking up at the ceiling and saying, Lord, let me be the man. And... Um, so we went out the next week, and I thought of that verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I want what I see. And, and it, um, it worked out. And, um, great memories. And, but as I look back, I really am embarrassed to say this. I thought she got a good deal in me. But as time went on, I came to realize, oh my goodness, what a gift God gave me. Because I never, my children wouldn't be who they are today without her impact and influence. And I would never have been able to have the impact and influence in ministry if it wasn't for her. So what a gift uh, the Lord blessed me with. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The key is, I would say to you all, just make sure the Lord puts his stamp of approval on it. And the key is, do they know Christ? And if it's a girl, the main thing you guys want to look for is, will she follow your lead as you follow Christ? And then if you're a girl... I heard someone say this, three things to look for in a guy. Can he humble himself and say he was wrong and ask for forgiveness, basically? Two, how does he treat his mom? And then how does he treat those he can get nothing from? So, again, you don't want to be deceived. God will make it so clear. He's not playing hide and seek with you going, hey, I got you. You married the wrong one. He cares more about you marrying the right one. He intends us better than we intend ourselves, and he proved it to the cross. And I'm going to close on this last verse. And I'm closing on this because there may be some of you in here who have a head knowledge of Christ, but He's never captured your heart. He's not your Lord. But this verse I share more than any other verse. And I think this verse, which is made up of 15 Greek words, sums up the gospel better than any other. And it says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him, 
who knew no sin. Well, we know who that is, Jesus. Everybody else is sin. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might be, and this is the key, made the righteousness of Christ, credited with the righteousness of Christ. So Jesus on the cross was treated as if he had lived the life of everyone in the past, present, and future who would believe. And then we, the believers, are treated as if we lived his life. So he got our report card on the cross, and we get his report card. And the only reason anyone will ever have a right standing before God is because you've been credited with the righteousness of Christ. That's why he had to live 33 years. He had to completely fulfill the law that we couldn't fulfill. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was baptized in Matthew 3.15. And he said to John the Baptist, I'm doing all this because it's necessary for me to fulfill all righteousness. He had to fulfill the law so he could be that perfect record, which is going to be credited to each one of us. So that's why we have a right standing with him. The Sinclair Ferguson said the temptation is to try to smuggle sanctification or our works into justification. We can't do that. None of our works will ever measure up. Galatians 3.10 says, Cursed is everyone who doesn't obey the law perfectly. That means if you're going down that road, you have to be perfect. So why would you even try? There's no way. That's why Jesus said it is finished. You get my record. So what a Christ we serve. And uh, my prayer is that you all have a, a passion and love for the word, that you would grow in your walk and reflect Jesus Christ in this dark, decaying culture. I want to open it up in closing. Are there any questions? On, I know it was a fire hydrant. There was so much thrown at you. Uh, any, any questions or thoughts in light of spiritual growth? How to, how to enhance your walk with Christ? Any thoughts, comments? Any practical tips on memorizing the scripture? Yes, um, that's a good question. Back, uh, I think it was 19, around 1984, there was an article in the Campus Crusade Journal that I got. And he said, the writer said, the average person has to hear or say something 37 times before it becomes second nature. And the verse that was used was, we all grew up knowing John 3.16. You know, for God so loved the world, that whoever believes in him should not perish. So I would say, take a passage and the repetition of saying it over and over and over. And so what I would do is I would record it. So I would hear it audibly. I would say it. So I'm speaking it and I would write it out. Use all your senses. And I can just tell you over time. And, and you, you already know you've memorized so much, whether it's movies or phone numbers, how much more the word. <clears throat> so good question. Any other questions or thoughts? All right, let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have the privilege to come to your house to worship in spirit and truth. Thank you, Father, that you loved us enough not only to send Jesus to die in our place and to live the perfect life that's credited to our account, but that you gave us your word, the word of God, to help us know how to live a life that reflects you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be students of your word and that when we reflect on your prayer, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That we would not neglect that, Lord. What a gift that you love us so much that you communicate to us. And I pray that we would be men and women that would saturate our minds with the word of God. 
and that you would be glorified in the process. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.